especially in Filipino culture, food is food is is a staple when it comes to showing your kindness, showing your cards as a person. Where it's like you always offer food. You you make sure that people around you are fed because that's and even to like take it to a different level where it's like that's survival where you want to make sure that everybody is nourished around you. Hey, Dustin. Hey, Crystal. Hey, me searchers. You are listening to the me search podcast and we're your hosts. My name is Dustin Domingo and I am Crystal Tugatti. Yes. On this show, we have critical, messy, and fun conversations with each other, with friends, and with leaders in the community. Together, we'll unpack important issues, learn, and unlearn what we think we know about what it means to be Filipino. Today, we've got a very special guest joining us, Filipino-Canadian actor, athlete, artist, producer, and now author, Chavi de Guzman. Yes. We'll be spending this episode chatting about Chavi's new book, Peeled Fruit. Chavi, welcome. Welcome. Thank you welcome. for having me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I feel welcomed. <laughs> oh, we're glad. This is, a, this is a cozy place. This is a cozy Very place. Very cozy. Love it, love it. Yeah. Before we get started on talking about the book, real quick, because mm-hmm. I think it was cool when when Chavi came into um into our Zoom session, he was telling us about his road trip and and mini home, tiny home. Can you can you share real quick to paint a picture for our listeners? Like, what is the space around you? What is the space around me? Um. So I bought a moving truck, and. It was completely empty when I bought it, completely just gutted. And then I decided to install a bathroom, a kitchenette. Um, I have a TV here, a big, <laughs> a 56-inch screen. I know. I oh, dang, yeah. Talking. I know, right? Because I, I still – I even have an espresso machine because, like, I, I guess I still have some, you know, <laughs> needs. Yeah, 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 for sure. Get it in. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, you're you're listening to me from my tiny home. It's pretty dope, y'all. It's so cool. <laughs> we got a little tour, and it's pretty dope. Also, how did you get into? Um, how did you build it? <laughs> how did you, did you learn like carpentry or like? So with that, like, um, my dad growing up was always was a real handyman. So he was the one to always like fix things. And I kind of adopted that mentality too, where it's like, don't just throw away things, try to fix it. So this project um, with that already, you know, instilled in me to like make things and do things where it's like, okay, I can make a kitchen counter. I can make a bathroom. But then, so with that mentality on top of the beautiful educational institution called youtube um (laughs) i got a you know just a lot of a lot of deep dives on those camper vids and it just inspired me to just do it yeah wow add that to the list of things that you are (laughs) actor athlete artist producer author and 
handyman, carpenter, handyman. builder of things. I don't know. Like, a builder. I, a builder. A builder. Yeah, what, what would builder? Yeah, that's what we're going to go with. I don't know. I don't know the correct terminology for for one who. Hmm. Um, coolest guy in the room. How about that? Coolest, coolest guy, guy in the room. That's I'll it. take it. I'll take it. That's the one. <laughs> that's it. So let's let's talk about peeled fruit. Um, yeah. you wrote this book. Uh, what? Yeah, give us a little background. What is peeled fruit? Um, so peeled fruit, as the title mentions, it's it's essentially about that act, that action of peeling fruit. And growing up, um, that was always a big thing where. If I wanted a snack, if it was dinner time and after dinner, my mom would always, always, without fail, be peeling fruit or cutting up some fruit for us to have after dinner. And I didn't think of it too much at the time. And like even in the book, pretty much the plot of it is it's a journey of this baby. Um, and I named him after my dad, Fernando, where... Um, Essentially, his 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 journey in life and his mom's attempt at you know bonding over peeling fruit. So it's it's that concept of a mother's love language of peeling mango for her baby. And I chose mango for two reasons. One, I love mangoes; can't get enough of them. And it's also the national fruit of the Philippines. So I thought it'd be a great um, great gem, and especially the way that Filipinos cut it and present it is also very unique um because out of all the places that have been in the world we're the only ones that take the mango half and we'll we'll cut little little slits in it and then we'll open it like a flower and so i and i found that very fascinating to see that it's like that's that's our people that's our culture that's something that we do that nobody else does so i thought that that was also a great little little Easter egg, if you will. There's lots of little Easter eggs in the book. And I just hope that people notice it. If they're not Filipino, they notice it. But then if they are Filipino and reading this and they see it, they'd be like, oh, I had one of these. Or, oh, I did that. Or, yeah, stuff like that. Damn. I'm like, you're triggering some core memories. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, yeah, it's it's triggering, like, mango after dinner and for me it was like i was i was that and i'm still that person who does oh so cute oh yeah chavi's showing us a uh the image of the front cover of the book yeah and like that's how we cut it that's our yes yes so I didn't realize that that was strictly like a Filipino. Th- I just thought yeah, that that was a thing know. that Filipinos. I mean, I thought that was a thing that everybody did. Like that was the way to cut mangoes. Yeah, no. And honestly, like you'll be surprised, like just going through life and realizing how people cut fruit. Where it's like oranges, especially. I don't know. For some reason, I can't get down with people just like cut it and then like they have that wedge <laughs> yeah i i have i have to peel the right. entire thing like that's how i do it mm-hmm. right and yeah. so it's it's just it's interesting how it's like how different cultures or how dirty they would get like just trying to enjoy some fruit yeah yeah, yeah. also fruit i've really realized this year eating more of it 
what? Mm. What a fun little thing fruit is. <laughs> it truly is <laughs> nature's candy. Like when I when I've been eating, I've been eating grapes lately, and I'm just like, is this a boba? Is this? <laughs> it's like a natural boba, and it's like good. You want it? You, you want to hear something funny though? Always. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is going to ruin it for you or if this is just going to make it a fun little anecdote. But if you really think about it, fruit is a waste byproduct of where they grow on, whether it be a vine or a tree. So it's like we're essentially eating tree poo. <laughs> mm, give it to me. I'm into it. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it. Give me that tree poop. <laughs> like trees are probably looking at us like, ew. Why are you eating? <laughs> Y'all are weird. I know. Humans are Why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> you know what I mean? No. <laughs> I love that. Thank you for dropping the knowledge. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, got, I just got to share, but I'm, I'm a professional in the field now. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's up. But yeah, it is so interesting um, learning that there are so many different ways that are so specific and uh to to interacting with fruit with engaging with fruit like yeah. how you eat things just generally how in the philippines we got the spoon and the fork you know yeah oh my goodness i i have a fun little anecdote with that where it's like so where i grew up i grew up in a predominantly caribbean neighborhood hmm. so majority of my friends are trinidadian or jamaican and i want to say this was a few years back but they I don't know, like their cutlery form is different. And so I'm eating like, um, I can't even remember what I was eating, but it was something with rice and my buddy's there and he's eating with a fork and I'm eating with a spoon. And he's like, why are you eating rice with a spoon? It's like, what do you mean? What? <sighs> Haven't you tried it? And I introduced him like we're, we're grown men. And I introduced him to using a spoon. And he's like, you get so much more rice with a spoon. And I was like, yeah. You think? <laughs> yes. And so it, it's, it's so fascinating. Cause like, and especially even if you want to go into a whole like whirlwind of thought where it's just like comparing chopsticks to a fork and mm -hmm the multi-purpose of a chopstick compared to a fork and it's like yeah it's just it's it changes the culinary experience yeah. when you actually start to think about it where it's like why am i using this instead of this or why is why when i'm at a korean place why does the spoon look different than if i'm at a ramen place, what is mm -hmm. the purpose? And these are just like small questions that I've kind of been exploring too in the in the realm of food because I I just love food so much. Mm. I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you decide that food was an important aspect to integrate into this book, which sounds to be about like family, love, community? What was it that led you to use that as like the avenue to have those conversations? Well, especially in Filipino culture, food is food is is a staple when it comes to showing your kindness. 
showing your cards as a person where it's like you always offer food you you make sure that people around you are fed because that's and even to like take it to a different level where it's like that's survival where you want to make sure that everybody is nourished around you and so through that food alone has has definitely upheld as one of those pillars of community for me and especially in in today's world where everybody's trying to be healthy now where fruit seems like the best option to offer other people um there's there's the rare unfortunate case when people are allergic to you know certain fruits but the gesture of even just wanting to feed somebody um I feel holds such a, a a gravity when it comes to just showing somebody else how important they are to you. Mm. Yeah. So for this story though, I didn't really have that in mind to like use food versus using, you know, uh, a game or using um, a particular book or using a particular toy where for this, the inspiration just, it was always there. And I've always been one to offer snacks and offer food. And I don't know, <laughs> I don't know uh, what your demographic is for your listeners on the podcast and how marijuana friendly it is. But especially when it comes to like the munchies and stuff, fruit will blow your mind. And... <laughs> Not a lot of people go towards fruit when it comes to, oh, I got the munchies. What am I going to do? But then when it comes to giving people fruit, it has to be prepared. So it has to be peeled. It has to be be cut up. It has to be – so it's like there's that extra gesture that happens before you give it to them. And I think that adds like a particular touch. And then the fact that, you know, you're biting into something nutritious and you're, you, especially if it's juicy, like you're getting, you're getting an experience that adds on top of that, as opposed to just going to chips or Mm -hmm. popcorn or so fruit has always been such a important staple in my life. And I don't know, it just it just got to a point where I became aware of it, of the gesture, mm. where I'll just be peeling some oranges or cutting up some things and I'd be offering it to people. And then all of a sudden, like, you get the compliments of like, wow, I haven't had this in so long. I haven't had cut up mangoes in ages. Wow. I don't know when the last time somebody peeled an orange for me was. And it's like, interesting. Cause I do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. What, um, what brought you to writing a book specifically for, for the kiddos? Ooh. Um, so when this idea first came into my head, um, with my background being in film, I envisioned it as a short film. Hmm. Um, so I, I actually wrote a script first. Oh, um and then through that i was like oh a short film would be a little bit difficult but what if it was an animated short 
because like I'm watching like all the shorts that are the especially the Filipino shorts that are popping up on like Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, these are these are amazing. How can I I'll write a script, make it an animated one, and I'll, I'll try and reach out to one of these guys. Um and I don't know, something clicked where it was just like how can I make it more tangible? Um just because I always thought there's there's something more visceral about holding something and telling a story mm-hmm. about it. So through that, then all of a sudden the idea pops in my head where it's like, what if I make this story into a kid's book? And then that's where the challenge began because it's like, I've never written a book. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because it's like, you think that a kid's book is easier to write than <laughs> a novel or something. Uh-huh. But it, it provided its own set of challenges that I was not ready for. And that on top of finding an illustrator who, and shout out Rhoda Domingo for um, being the person that re- that I got a hold of. And, and we made this happen because she just, she just got it. Um, I spoke with a lot of illustrators, interviewed a lot of illustrators, but something about what Rhoda brought to the table. Uh, maybe it's the fact that she she's a mother as well. Mm. Kind of gave that gentleness that I was looking for, but then at the same time she added a level of reverence to the culture that I also wanted to try and get a hold of. Um so yeah, so that's how that's how this whole idea kind of happened was it started as something that I wanted to put on screen and then decided to change it up and put it on on pages and I still have the ambition to get this on screen somehow but mm. we'll see, we'll see where that goes. Is, the story's out there now. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. how it evolved yeah. over time. Yeah. And yeah. it will continue yeah. to evolve, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. So you, you said that um, it was surprisingly more difficult than you had imagined. Yeah. So I'm curious if you can speak to maybe things that you learned along the way, or like maybe what was like the most surprising, most surprising thing that you learned doing this project? Um, the most surprising thing I learned, well, there was a lot. <laughs> but in terms of the writing... Um, the most surprising thing about that was, um, just trying to cut back, cut back on the words. Mm. Um, it is a little lengthy for a kid's book because my, my ambition for it isn't for kids to read. It's for the adults to read. Mm. Um, I had an experience growing up, I want to say I was like eight years old and I was the last of my cousins that were awake. It was like a Christmas time or something. All, the entire family got together um, and we're all in Maryland and at, uh, at my Dito and Dita's house and all the kids are asleep. I'm the only one awake and it's my Dita's all around the table in the kitchen reading 
I'll Love You Forever by Robert Munch. And in my head, I'm like, that's a kid's book. Why? And, but like, my titas are into it. Like, they're turning the pages and they're like, oh, look at this. It's so and, and it's like, <laughs> but then I learned like it was a story that they were attached to and hooked to. So it's like, my goal for this is for our age to read it for mm. people older than us to read it and relate and see this gesture and be like, yeah, this, this is what happened in my house. And whether or not it's to read to their kids or to read to their nieces and nephews or to somebody else's kids, or I know some teachers have bought it and they're going to read it to their class, but it's like, I want adults and I want young adults too, to see this and, read it and relate to it so it's like as much as this is a kid's book the illustrations are for the kids because like i i also did like a little screen screening or sample read with my my godson and and my nephews and they're like oh i really like the pictures they made me laugh and it's like okay cool (laughs) so the pictures are for the kids but then the story the words are I'm hoping for the older ones. Mm. Ah. What was the reception like for perhaps people in your family? Like the adults in your family? They were excited about it. Um, Well, like I didn't tell them that I was doing it. (laughs) It kind of just like my, my brother knew about it. My mom knew about it. And then I released it and then all of a sudden like all my cousins and my titas are like they're they're happy for it and stuff like that but um I'm I'm hoping to like over over Christmas time and stuff like to like be able to just sit down and read it to my nieces and nephews and stuff like that and hopefully with the audience of like my cousins and and my titas and titos and my mom and dad as well just like hoping that they also can relate to the story. Mm. That's exciting. It's it's yeah. it's amazing how powerful books can be. That that image of your titas around the table reading. Yeah. That, oh, wow, that's exciting. I I can't wait for another generation of titas around the table reading your book. <laughs> like that, like that. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. What was the funnest thing that you encountered while writing the book? The funnest part, whenever like edits were being made, mm-hmm. um, especially so Rhoda, my illustrator, she's from New Zealand, a Filipino from New Zealand. So whenever we'd have our, our meetings and our progress meetings and to see the pictures and stuff like that, um, there was especially one specific picture um, where I wanted the the theme of that particular image or that particular page to focus on the mano. Mm. So for, for those of you who aren't Filipino that are listening, it's when you are in the presence of an elder and 
you greet them by taking their their hand and raising it to your forehead. And she sent the initial draft of it. And the initial draft, it was great, but the baby, baby Fernando was kind of like playing in that moment. He's, he's like big smile on his face, the Lola's in front of him. And then I just mentioned that, like, I wanted to make this a very reverent moment. Mm. And she did a, a few edits and then sent back and it was perfect in my in my mind where I was like um in this one the baby is like his eyes are closed and like he's raising the hand to his mm-hmm. forehead and I just started to ball I was like this Aww. is it because <laughs> it's like you know what I mean and it's like yeah. it's so funny because it's like I don't know about you guys but when I was a kid and it's like whenever I get to a family party and it's it's that's always the first thing you do you have to mono mm-hmm. And then you can go play with the cousins. And I just, I, I you know, just. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Not even, you know what I mean? Just like yeah, yeah, yeah. running through kind of like, this is, this is like the entrance at a, at a Clippers game and just like high-fiving and stuff. <laughs> high-fiving your forehead with, with all of your details and details backhand. But then it's like with within this whole journey of life that I've been going through especially in trying to connect more with my culture and understanding the gestures that we do within our families like they hold meaning and so in that moment um, I really wanted that focus to be on that mono being something that is respected mm-hmm. versus just something that's just thrown out there and it's it's such a small like it's a two page spread and that little bit only is like in one fourth not even one eighth of that two page spread but it's it's for me it's kind of like when you go to a museum and you're looking at like whatever a picasso but then there's that one tiny Mm. bit in the Mm. corner that just stands out and it's like for me out of this entire book it's that picture for me Uh. that does it where it's like Mm. baby's eyes are closed and holding the hand to the his forehead like that's yeah that's beautiful i um i'm also i have i have have a couple questions Um, yeah this one is um that's why I'm here. <laughs> I just have so I have more questions, and I I, I want to sure. make sure we. Um, I don't want to keep you over, but uh, going back to like how it started as maybe a script for uh, a short, as a creative, what was the process for you of letting go of what you envisioned it to be and just letting it live and become what it is now? Because I know for me, like. I've been working on this one woman show forever and I'm like, this is what Mm. I want it to be. But now it's just like, I don't know. (laughs) And Mm. it's hard Mm. for me to move past what I want it to be versus what maybe it should be. So like, or did you have trouble with that? And if you did, like, what are some things that helped you through that process? I think it's, it's really difficult to compare the two when it comes Mm -hmm. to letting go because I feel like I I empathize with you and I connect with with that thought when it comes to the writing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the writing was very much me. 
And if I wanted to make an edit, it was because I did it. And I, I had so many people saying, oh, you don't need this. You don't need this. And I was like, well, it's there. It's That's not changing. But when it comes to like the illustrations of it, um, that for me is just like I'm giving it to another artist now. So mm-hmm. when it comes to letting it go, the words are mine. Now, what is the artist going to do? So it's like that's that's I just threw that to mm-hmm. the wind there and, and let that happen. So it's like, I didn't really have a say in that. And it just now came back to how I felt when the drawings came back. And respectfully with that, like, again, I interviewed dozens of, of illustrators and their drawings were great, but Rhoda's was specifically the one that stood out that had little details that I wanted. When it comes to changing the concept of a short into a book it wasn't really letting go um there was a very logical process of making it happen and i think honestly deciding to make it into a book gave me more control oh uh oh interesting (laughs) because like if if i had to make it into a short then okay am i going to direct it am i going to now I have to hire actors for it. Mm-hmm. Now I have to, um, I'm going to have probably a producer on board. And so it's like, am I just going to now turn myself into the writer of it and just let other people's hands come into play? Mm-hmm. Um, but then it being a book now, I kind of had more control as much as I was able to let go. And this definitely was a conjoint effort um, between myself and the illustrator. So, but when it comes to letting go in general, um, that's, that's, a that's a loaded question and a half. Cause <laughs> especially when it comes to acting and, and my journey through that, it's, it's, it's really about trusting the people around you and what mm-hmm. they have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when I'm on set, and I'll, I'll make I'll make a choice and then we'll do the scene. And then the director is like, all right, great, moving on. There is that voice in me. It's like, are you sure I could do it differently? Are, are you sure you're happy with that? Or are you just moving on because I'm, I'm wasting too much time? What's, what's really going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to letting go, it's, it's, it's really about just trusting everybody else. Um, and especially now in the perspective of like doing a a one person show where what does your core people have to say, have you performed it for your friends yet? What's their feedback? Where's, where's their, where's their critiques? Because sometimes their critiques are going to be that voice that you have had in your head, but you are scared to change it. Mm -hmm. So then it can be something that reaffirms that you need to, let go of this thing that you've married yourself to because that voice in your head is what your friends are echoing. Mm -hmm. So (sighs) letting go, yeah, letting go is such a a, a fascinating topic that I can just speak on forever. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) hopefully something there translated. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. It, you know, it, it feels like it's more of like, leaning into the essence of what you're trying to say and what story you're trying to tell and just letting it 
letting it do its thing versus you trying to dictate the story versus this like symbiotic relationship that you and the story can yeah. have. And and also one thing that I've kind of came to grasp is and it's it might sound contrary, but I find letting go becomes so much easier when you put in the work. Mm. And a lot of people say it's because I put in the work, it's hard to let go. Mm. But in my opinion, you didn't put in enough work. Mm. Where if you put in enough work, if you put in the, the required amount of work, then that means you're confident in your choices it means that you've already, and that's also another funny thing where it's like, I keep using the word choices where a lot of people think choice is impulse where it's like, Oh, my first impulse is this. That has to be the choice. It's mm. like, no, in order to have a choice, you have to have multiple right. impulses to pick from. So it's like, did you just come up with two choices and you picked one or did you come up with 10 choices? Because especially in a scene, there's so many avenues, there's so many facets, there's so many ways that you can break down and look at it. And so it un- once I've explored every possibility and narrowed it down to one choice, and then I have fun with it, with that particular choice, then I can be confident and tell myself that, yeah, I can let it go because that was the choice I made. Whether you like it or not, I played out all the all the possibilities in my head already of which one I wanted to do. And I chose to give you this one. So now it's up to you to interpret it how you want. That's good. That's yeah. good. Ah. <laughs> yes. What is something that you found or discovered about Filipino culture while making the book? Any, any new discoveries for you? Um, I wouldn't say it's a new discovery as so much a discovery that enforces things that I've already speculated and mm-hmm. had mm. had um inklings about. And as much as like I want to say the Filipino culture, our culture, I really want to start exploring the entire Pacific Oceanic community. Mm. Because it's those connections that connect us to the Maldi in New Zealand, to the Polynesians, to the Tongans, to the Hawaiians, to the Samoans. And in sharing like the story with people and, and the images, especially the images, it's so fascinating to hear other, I say other cultures because in this world with societal norms like people identify as their own as their own nationality so it's like i'll be speaking with hawaiians and they'll be like wow this image of the mom looks like my mom Mm -hmm. to the point where it's like i'll even be speaking with indigenous um people in like who are (laughs) and this was this was crazy watching like a documentary called the angry Inuk, but speaking with a friend and she's inuit um the fact that the inuit people even though they live in frigid climates they're coastal so it's like 
seeing that relation where it's like our grandparents look like grandparents of my Inuit friends. I'm like, there has to be a connection. There has to be a relation. And then the big thing with that, that I'm trying to connect, like I have a lot of little Easter eggs and like, you'll see on the cover too, like there's these designs on here and they're tribal. They're, they're what I've, I've received from different elders from Hawaii, from Polynesia, from the Philippines. And it's like, how is it that all of these cultures use the same symbols Mm. and they have the same meaning as well. They're called by different names, but they have the same meaning. Mm. And so that's the thing that like, I wanted to drive home with this book is that connection where it's like, as much as all of our islands enjoy fruit and we enjoy mangoes, it's, it's these images that I want to stand out that connect more than just what we think. And especially with what Filipinos back in the Philippines think when it comes to our history, because unfortunate as it is, a lot of our our people just a generation, two generations ago, their history starts with the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like it goes so much further than that. Yeah. And that's that's the the hope that I'm I want to lean into is that especially being in North America and seeing the fight that the indigenous have against the mainlanders. Mm-hmm where I want that dialogue to be just as strong in the Philippines. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Super important. Oh, man. This is a very deep conversation. (laughs) Very fruitful, if you will. Fruitful. (laughs) Super fruitful. Well well done. Well done. (laughs) Um, Before we let you go... Uh, yeah. Where can people get the book? Yeah, um, the easiest way um, is to head onto the Instagram page at Peeled Fruit Book. Um, but then, just because like you get the fastest shipping time, mm-hmm. um, if you order it directly through BookBaby.com or Bookshop.org, I believe. But then it's also available on Barnes and Nobles, Powell's Bookstore, Amazon. Um, it just might take a little bit longer to get to you. Okay. Order and then I also have, yeah. <laughs> um, and one thing too that um, I have is like the e-version as well, where you can get the e-version by going to um, the charity that I founded, uh, the Let's um, the Play On Foundation that is at triple uh, w and if you go through there, you can get an e-copy through a donation. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Real quick, can you tell us about what your charity is is about? Yeah, sure. Um, so the Play On Foundation is a charity that I founded with a few friends of mine. Um, and it focuses on brain aneurysm detection and prevention. Great. Yeah, we so got to have mine... you on just to talk about that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, it's, 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 it's funny because it's like, I, I don't know what I'm doing with that in terms of how to make it big, but 
I just, I just hope to just keep doing what I'm doing so I can drive attention to that. And that was like also a big thing for this book is like, it's, it's brought to you by the charity itself mm. where all my efforts is just to push towards that and hopefully bring more awareness to brain aneurysms and what we can do about them. Damn, you're doing good work, dude. Yeah. Good job, Tommy. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. <laughs> well, thank you so much for hanging out with us. It's been a pleasure. You're uh, again you. one of the coolest people uh, in the room. The, the coolest. The coolest. The, the coolest. coolest. Stop yeah. it. Stop it. Chavi the cool guy. Chavi the cool guy. <laughs> oh my goodness! Thank you so much for joining us. Um, can't wait to share this book with all of my nephews and nieces and my friends oh. and cousins. Um, gonna make that that uh, moment happen again with titos and titas with your book. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I would love that. Yes, we're gonna make it happen. Yes. And researchers, thank you for joining us. Y'all, this was Chavi de Guzman. Woo -woo -woo -woo. Follow Chavi, follow Chavi <laughs> at <laughs> X. <laughs> <laughs> follow him at x deguz that's x d e g u z and don't forget to be a me searcher follow us at me search podcast and check us out online at me search podcast.com we're gonna get to the bottom of things this is me search folks <laughs> <laughs>